Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy Freedom Friday, everybody. I'm Dr. Gina, and this is Prime time. The historic winter storm this week across the southern part of the United States left up to 4 million people without power at one point and tragically led to the death of more than 20 people. But every time that we are hit by disasters like this, it brings out the best in some Americans who step up to help each other and band together to make sure that their neighbors are all right. But it also, unfortunately, brings out the worst in some people, mostly from people on the left side of politics or just politicians in general. Bette Mittler took to Twitter and she let us know her theory on why this winter weather hit Texas so hard. She says it's actually the judgment of God up on the two Texas Republican senators. Her tweet says this, I feel for the people suffering through this weather, but... God doesn't seem to like Ted Cruz or John Cornyn. These two also never recognized that Joe won. If this isn't payback, I don't know what is. And over on MSNBC, they aren't blaming the wrath of God. An MSNBC reporter appeared on Stephanie Rule's show, and they came to the conclusion that it's all because of deregulation and corporations seeking profits. Check this out. So it depends on who you ask, but as it stands right now, uh, the equipment that provides so much of the power to so many Texans uh, was not properly winterized. And some people would point to the fact that uh, Texas had its power supply deregulated back in the 90s. And you would say critics say that because of these businesses were focusing on profits, uh, they were not necessarily concerned with maintenance and or winterizing the equipment to prepare for worst case scenarios like we're experiencing right now. It's a really important reminder that it is not good. It's not regulation good, regulation bad. It's about smart regulation. And the reason regulation is put in place is to protect everyday individuals. And when you have mass deregulation and then an emergency situation like this, you've got millions and millions of individuals who aren't protected. Pretty ridiculous, considering that a ton of profit was lost when millions of people we're using zero electricity for several days. Also, there is no profit in solar and wind power. And that's why it has to be subsidized by the federal government. So they continue the lies. Let's go over this again. The rolling blackouts were caused by politicians and bureaucrats who were virtue signaling that they are saving the planet, just like they always virtue signal about saving the planet by forcing Texas residents to rely more and more on this unreliable green energy. And green energy fails people when it is needed the most over and over again. But let's move on before I get fired up <laughs> like I was last night because it's Freedom Friday and we want to keep it maybe just a little lighter. Let's just go ahead and move on. New York's Governor Cuomo did one of his Emmy Award-winning press conferences again today, full of lots of acting, and everyone was holding their breath 
waiting for him to possibly actually apologize, take some responsibility for mixing COVID patients into the nursing home population and then covering up those numbers. But instead, Cuomo said he was sorry that he hasn't been fighting the fake news as much as he should have. You actually can't make this stuff up. Listen. I wonder if my father died because somebody made a mistake. I wonder if my father had to die. Those false statements must be countered. They must be, or else people get confused. We didn't fight back against the lies and the politics and the the distortions aggressively enough. In retrospect, that is true. I was not aggressive enough in knocking down the false city. We were busy. We were doing our job. We're trying to save lives. No excuses. It hurt the families who had questions about loved ones. And that was a mistake. And I make no excuses for that mistake. It is an affront to truth to treat falsehood with compliance. It is an affront to truth to treat falsehood with compliance. Compliance spelled the way Thomas Paine spelled. Who am I to criticize his spelling? Different spelling. Uh, I did not aggressively enough. We did not aggressively enough take on the misinformation that caused people pain. Uh, If you're lying to the people of the state of New York, I'm going to call it out. You got to give this Emmy Award winning actor some credit, even though he has literally no friends left in the entire state of New York. He is sticking to his story. We're going to circle back like Jen Psaki on that story a little later in the show. And right now, let's head on over to our hosts and correspondents around America. First, we're going to start in Washington, D.C. with the host of Just the News AM, Carrie Sheffield. She has more on the Governor Cuomo saga. Carrie, go ahead. Hey there, Dr. Dean. I want to give you the latest out of the state of New York. Turns out the Republicans in the legislature are forming an impeachment commission against Governor Cuomo. He is under fire because of his handling of the coronavirus. This in light of the Attorney General Letitia James releasing a damning report last month saying that the state undercounted the coronavirus death toll in nursing homes by more than 50 percent. This also comes on the heels of the FBI and federal prosecutors investigating Cuomo and his handling of the nursing home deaths. A spokesman for Cuomo says that they are cooperating with the Department of Justice. They said they've been cooperating with them and will continue to do so. This also on top of leaked audio revealing that Cuomo admitted that the COVID-19 lockdowns are, quote, a fear-driven response. You can hear this audio yourself. Cuomo, in his own words, is saying that the lockdowns are a, quote, fear-driven response. Well, Cuomo is also coming under fire because of the way he's treating the city of New York compared to the rest of the state. And the New York Post editorial board was mad about this. They said, why do you let the rest of the state restaurants open at 50 percent capacity, but only 25 percent? They're calling it the 25 percent rule in the city of New York. And they're saying, why are you limiting the restaurant hours at all? It's not like COVID is more transmissible after 11 p.m. They call it absurd and tyrannical. 
and as the governor's early rule, earlier rule that the bar patrons had to buy a meal too. We'll keep you posted on the latest with Governor Cuomo. And for now, back to you, Dr. Gina. Yeah, Carrie, you know, even AOC came out against Cuomo. You know things are going south for you when AOC is piling on. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for that report. Now let's head out to Real America's Voice headquarters in Denver, Colorado, where our own Jessica Rivera is standing by. Jessica, what do you have for us today? Well, Dr. Gina, the Archbishop of Kansas City recently said President Joe Biden should stop defining himself as a devout Catholic. He says Biden is advancing an agenda that opposes church teachings and that the president should know not to take communion when he believes in the serious evil that is abortion. In response to the Archbishop's statement, Dr. Frank Turek of Summit Ministries wrote an op-ed addressing the left's promotion of what is called woke Christianity and their hijacking of traditional biblical faith. So I reached out to Frank to discuss, and I specifically asked him about the judgment of Biden's faith, and here's what he had to say. And their policies are what you judge when they run for the highest office of the land. You know, if you're gonna say that you're a Catholic, yet you're disagreeing with what the Catholic Church or the scriptures or natural law would say about life, then I'm just gonna oppose you on policy grounds. Uh, if you want to call yourself a Catholic, that's your business. But as your art, the Archbishop mentioned that you just mentioned earlier, it's gonna it's gonna come out and say, wait a minute, uh, pr uh, President Biden, don't call yourself a Catholic and yet disagree with the Church. It, it, and I had the same background you did, Jessica. I was brought up in the Catholic Church. I went to Catholic high school, but now I'm a non-denominational Christian, and I would never call myself a Christian if I was going to disagree with Jesus. And I also asked Frank about the defense I often hear from pro-abortion and pro-choice people, which is, how is it right to bring a baby into the world who is either unwanted, is going to be poor, and will suffer? Here's what he had to say. Well, my response to people who say that we, we shouldn't bring anybody into the world that's poor, unwanted, or any of these things, are you suggesting then we should, we should round up all the poor children and all the unwanted children and kill them? Because that's basically what you're saying. That is not a justification for killing people. We don't kill people because they may have, they may suffer at some point in their life. In fact, we're all gonna suffer at some point in our lives. Suffering is part of life. And Dr. Gina, lastly, I told Frank that I feel as if churches today are more worried about making sure that their congregation is comfortable and happy instead of actually teaching from the Bible. He agreed and said people are looking for what he calls meology to feel happy and get everything that they want out of church rather than looking for theology and the truth. Back to you. Such a great point, Jessica. You know, every time I hear that argument that, you know, we shouldn't bring babies into the world that are going to be impoverished or unwanted in some way, I always wish that they would, um, you know, have a conversation with my son Samuel, who was slated for abortion, who has Down syndrome, we adopted, um, and other children like Samuel who uh, get the greatest joy out of life and teach people more about life than most people that uh, were perhaps wanted, if you want to use it that way, because Samuel is very wanted and teaches all of us a lot about life. And I just don't think that it's up to any one person to decide that about another person. Absolutely. And if we all could be blessed uh, by a child like Samuel, um, the way I feel about it is every soul is wanted, um, whether that be from their earthly uh, parent or maybe an adoptive parent. But that's not really 
uh, a judgment call for a human being here on earth that hasn't really, uh, they've already been spoken for and they've already had the chance to live. So it only seems fair that they would extend that to the next generation. You would think, you would really, really think. And if you're not a devout Catholic or a Christian, then just be honest. You know, I, I don't know where honesty has gone in our society either, but we're always worried about hurting everyone's feelings. We're not so worried about being authentically who we are. I think that could go a long way. Jessica, I always appreciate your stories. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, now let's head out to California to our West Coast correspondent. That would be the one and only Amanda Head. Amanda, give us an update this Freedom Friday on the Gavin Newsom recall effort. Yes, I do have some updated numbers for you. I had I was on a Zoom call Wednesday night with Tom Del Bacaro, who is the chairman of RescueCalifornia.org. RescueCalifornia.org is the subsequent measure after we get all these signatures for the recall effort. But I have some numbers as far as the repercussions of the lockdowns here in California, and it's it's pretty astounding, actually. As you know, California is a very diverse state especially here in Los Angeles. We have a lot of immigrants here. Um, the number of businesses owned by African-Americans from the shutdown went down by 41%. For Latin-owned businesses, it was 32% that it went down. And for Asian businesses, 25%. When all is said and done, California economists estimate that the loss of restaurants in California will be 60%. So devastating numbers. And I'll remind you that just two months ago, Gavin Newsom refused to perform any type of audit of the vote in the presidential election. And yet now they are going through all of these signatures with extreme scrutiny, with a fine tooth comb to make sure all of these signatures are valid. So that leads me to my newest numbers. There is a 16% rejection rate for passable petitions. These are the petitions that people, you know, go to a restaurant or a business to sign or, you know, their neighbor has it or they're outside of a grocery store and they have a table set up to sign. But the online petitions, not petitions that you can actually sign online, but you can go to the website and request a petition, 99% validity rate. So only 1% of those are getting rejected. Now, Tom said that by this Sunday, he projects that we will have 1.7 million signatures. We obviously are still aiming for 1.8 or 1.9 just to have that extra cushion to take care of the signatures that are deemed invalid when they go over this with a fine tooth comb, unlike two months ago. Um, March 10th is when they are aiming to deliver these signatures. That is about a week early. And there's not some central location or office or person in Sacramento that gets these signatures. It actually goes to each district's precinct office. So you've got people all across California who will be counting and auditing these signatures. Um, so what happens? If we get all of the signatures, then either the end of August or the beginning of September is when there will be a recall election. Two questions and two questions only on the ballot. The first question will be, do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? If you answer yes for that question, then you move on to question number two, which is who do you want to take his place? But here's the interesting thing, Gina. The person who gets the most votes is who wins. That's the person who takes the seat. You don't have to have a majority. And it's very plausible that the person who becomes governor could have less than 20% because if it's anything like 2003 when we recalled Gray Davis, there were 135 names on the ballot. 
So you spread Whoa. 100% over 135 people, and it's very plausible that you can have someone who takes the seat of governorship in California who really didn't get that many votes, because that's all it takes. You just have to have the most votes. This is going to get interesting. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, Amanda. <laughs> nothing nothing ever gets as crazy as it gets in crazy Fornia. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, and now let's circle back to Washington, D.C., to our own John Solomon, founder of Just the News. John, glad to have you with us this Freedom Friday. You have some really interesting stories, just as always, that were just posted over at Just the News. I want, though, yeah. to ask you about the FBI files that were released about the investigation into Nancy Pelosi's father and how they were overshadowed by the January 6th Capitol breach. What do we know, John? So the morning of January 6th, just before the riot began in the Capitol, the FBI posted on its Freedom of Information Act website the file for Nancy Pelosi's father, a former Democratic congressman, big boss in the city of Baltimore. And uh, it had all of the information that John F. Kennedy's administration asked J. Edgar Hoover's FBI to find out all the dirt that they believed was on her dad. And it showed that the FBI believed her father took bribes or payoffs uh, from people that were trying to get uh, cop jobs, that, that he was consorting with criminals, that he was consorting with communists, uh, that he had uh, a, quite a reputation as sort of being a big boss corrupt politician in Baltimore. Now, people say, well, there's never any politics in the FBI. Remember, we heard that all through the Russia collusion right. case. The memos show that the, uh, J. Edgar Hoover told his boys, listen, Find what you are, but they don't want this guy to get knocked out, so don't make a big deal out of anything bad you find. And so they, you could tell the FBI was trying to find very little so that the confirmation process could go through and her father could get a job in the Kennedy administration. But a really remarkable thing, and it's been almost a month and a half, no media actually went and looked at these files. Uh, we took a look at them. Uh, quite a bit of news in them gives us a little bit different perspective on Nancy Pelosi's uh, childhood and, and the father who she reveres so much a little bit about what the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover thought of him. Wow, and you're not reading this any place except just the news, John. That's the only place I'm hearing this reported. Um, a lot of times, though, after you begin reporting things, then some other places sort of almost begrudgingly so. start picking it up. It's, <laughs> it's, as if, it's as if you pick it up and then they're like, oh, I guess we have to report it now. <laughs> this was oh, the story all the that's way through Russia story. collusion. Yeah, it, this is, we've seen this over and over again. John reports it because everyone should be reporting it, and then the others are like, oh, I guess we have to report this now. Uh, John, you also posted a story about the computer store owner who was yeah. smeared on social media after he revealed that he was in possession of Hunter Biden's laptop, and that man is suing Twitter. Tell us this story, John. Yes, this is John Paul McIsaac. In fact, we interviewed him about a month ago. I had a really colorful interview because he gave us the full timeline of what happened with the laptop and how the FBI originally turned his family down, didn't want to see the laptop, and then begrudgingly came back and took it as the impeachment proceedings were growing. But the um, John Paul McIsaac, if you remember, during, last uh, fall during the election, it became public that he had this laptop, that there was some very damaging or questionable behavior by Hunter Biden on the laptop particularly overseas business deals, China, Ukraine, Russia. And uh, the Twitter blocked the stories of the New York Post. And they said that the New York Post couldn't publish these stories and their account was deactivated because they considered the materials to violate their computer hacking policy. Well, guess what? Those files weren't hacked. J. 
John Paul McIsaac was the lawful owner of the laptop when uh, Hunter Biden left it behind more than 90 days under the contract. So he's now suing Twitter saying, you called me a hacker last year, and that's not what I am. I, I lawfully own this. It was mine to give, and now I sue you for defamation. He's filed a lawsuit in Florida where there are very favorable defamation laws for people like John Paul McIsaac. So we'll see what happens. But uh, Twitter is uh, is going to be in court, going to have to deal with some real issues. And uh, while this is about a defamation case, it's also about cancel culture, right? Because they tried to suffocate this story, which turned out to be a true story. They called it Russian disinformation. It turns out it really was Hunter Biden's laptop. Fascinating. John, thank you so much for these updates and for always being on top of the news that nobody else is reporting. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. Coming up, we ask Congressman Mike Waltz what we can do right now to stop the Biden administration's deadly open border policies. They're killing people. No kidding. What's, that's what's next, rather, here on Dr. Gina Primetime. So don't go away. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. So glad that you are with us as always. Now, Biden's border policies are not too popular. That is, unless you're south of the border. Also, sex traffickers are enjoying the lack of enforcement under the Biden administration. And the statistics say that 77% of arrested sex traffickers are illegal immigrants. Let that sink in, friends. Fortunately, some states are ready to fight back. The story from WCTV in Tallahassee, Florida, has this headline. Florida Attorney General calls on the Biden administration to reinstate Operation Talon, aimed at ending sex trafficking. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody joined 17 other states to urge Biden to reverse the decision to end Operation Talon. That put over 19,000 illegal alien sex offenders behind bars here with me now to discuss from Florida District 6, Congressman Mike Waltz. Congressman, good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us tonight. Sure. Good to be with you. Thanks, Gina. Congressman, 77% of sex traffickers brought into the United States uh, by law enforcement, or brought in rather, arrested by law enforcement in the United States are illegal immigrants. The border policies of the Biden administration are putting American lives in danger. Are we just stuck with this for the next four years, or is there something <laughs> that state attorneys general can do about this? Well, I'm glad that Attorney General, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody is leading this charge. Uh, in fact, I just hosted a roundtable uh, in my district yesterday with the Department of Homeland Security, with their investigative service, and with local elected officials, uh, our state legislature, and then, of course, myself and another representative, this is an insidious problem. It's sick. The average age of these girls being trafficked is 17, and it ranges from girls smuggled in to, uh, to our daughters that you would see 
you know, in a, in a private school or, or anywhere else that get kind of sucked into this awful vortex. Uh, and to see the Biden administration really pulling back on this is almost it's almost hard to believe uh, that a sex trafficker in terms of priorities of illegals that they would deport uh, isn't at the very top to me is, uh, you know, is again, it's just unconscionable. Uh, and we will keep up the pressure. And I'm glad the attorney general, uh, 17 others on top of her are uh, pressuring the administration as well. It just makes no sense if there's anybody that needs to get kicked out of this country it would be those that are trafficking and abusing young girls. Right. This, this doesn't seem like a partisan issue, Congressman. No. I mean, this seems like something that whether you are a Republican or a Democrat or otherwise, uh, protecting our people from sexual exploitation should be something that isn't, isn't even up for conversation. No, I, in fact, I lead, I co-chair a caucus called uh, Women, Peace, and Security with one of the most liberal members of Congress, Lois Frankel from uh, South Florida. We disagree on a lot, but to your point, on this one, uh, we're completely aligned. This needs to be a priority for this administration, not deprioritizing it. Uh, it's, it, it. In fact, we're trying to help Americans understand just how bad the problem is particularly around big events like the Super Bowl, NASCAR races, golf tournaments, and in transportation hubs like I-95 and I-4 corridor. Uh, it is really bad, both domestically and with poor girls that are smuggled in as illegal immigrants. Uh, and it just makes no sense why, uh, why Biden wouldn't make this one of his top priorities. And yet, Congressman, the Wall Street Journal reports that the number of illegal immigrant families crossing the border now is back to pre-pandemic levels. But COVID is still out there, and it's safe to assume that none of these folks have been vaccinated. They're not even being tested as they come across. Right. And, you know, the Biden administration is absolute crickets on this. Yeah, you know, it's just this underlying philosophy that's just completely wrong, that if we are nice to these poor people, uh, that'll be different than what the Trump administration was. Uh, and, and in fact, it's the exact opposite. By incentivizing them to make this perilous and horrific journey, uh, Doctors Without Borders uh, estimates that up to a third of the girls that uh, are transiting South and Central America to get to the United States are sexually abused and assaulted. Uh, by incentivizing that, by creating this tractor beam, so to speak, because they think they'll just be released into the country, you're actually putting these poor people at danger. Whereas the Trump administration said, no, go to your local embassy. And if you do come to uh, our border seeking asylum, which some people, some of them, not all legitimately do, then you have to wait in Mexico until that's adjudicated. You don't get released in the United States on the hope uh, that you'll come back for your court date, which we know is incredibly unlikely. So it's it's not good for this country, for our veterans, for our schools that are being overwhelmed, for the services that are being overwhelmed, but it's not good for the, it's, it's bad for the immigrants as well. No, it is. I mean, we saw, we've seen, you know, many of these people trying to escape, you know, dying in the process, especially in the cold on the Texas border right now. We saw folks die in the back of uh, trucks as they're trying to escape, freezing to death. We saw a woman giving birth right on the border of the, uh, on the bank of the Rio Grande yeah. in the freezing uh, snow it, it, atrocities happen all the time in the dead of summer. We see the same sorts of death due to the heat. And yet they, right. you know, if, if this is all about votes, this is truly a kind of power greed that we've not seen before out of politicians. 
uh, on the left side of our politics that is you would think would be just disgusting to the voters, right? Yeah, and you know there are some. I'm, I'm I'm just trying to understand the other side so we can get to a reasonable, you know, some reasonable legislation here. That there there are some truly suffering people, but the vast majority are being smuggled across uh, right. by smugglers that own the border. These are from cartels that are making money off of the backs of these poor people, uh, and that's why we have to have a deterrent in place, and that's why we have to have a legal and regulated system in place you know the most angry immigrants that i come across are ones that waited in line fairly and legally and then see themselves being jumped in line uh by bad policy from washington dc yeah me too congressman florida is really a model for the rest of the country as far as covid response governor desantis has given our residents the ability to be adults, imagine that, make their own decisions for their own health. And the results have been yeah. better than the nanny style states that have been locked down and mandated to wear masks, which have questionable at best data behind those mandates. Uh, there were reports of a Biden administration interstate travel ban that would not allow people to travel in and out of Florida even though the science says that we are far more safe than the rest of the country. Have you heard any more rumblings of this Biden-imposed Florida travel ban? And I want to add, while he's lifting travel bans from yeah. dangerous terrorist countries. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we came out pretty strong on that, Gina. I mean, that's completely unconstitutional. And the reality is people are voting with their feet. A thousand people a day coming into Florida, leaving New York, leaving California, leaving Illinois. Uh, and the lockdowns do not work. In fact, our infection rates and our death rates, uh, as sad as every one of them are, are about the same with California, yet we are open uh, and California is closed because at the end of the day, lockdowns don't work. Common sense does. And it really underscores how conservatives approach governance versus liberals. Liberals think that government has the answer. Conservatives want to put that power in the hands of the people. You can decide if it's safe for your kids to go to school. I don't know a business owner that wants to get their employees or their customers sick. Let's get them the resources and basic guidelines and let them make those decisions, not you know, a state government or certainly not Washington, D.C. The National Guard still in D.C., Congressman, at least 5,000 troops <laughs> will stay there yeah. through mid-March and maybe longer, uh, along with the fence. Uh, going up, you know, staying up and being built and reinforced constantly around our capital, keeping Americans out while we're opening the fence around our country yeah. to keep dangerous threats out. What do you make of all of that? Well, I've asked repeatedly the Secretary of the Army, uh, Assistant Secretary for Homeland Security, and others what is this threat that is so dire and so large? that it requires more troops in Capitol Hill than we have in Afghanistan and Iraq combined, Gina. I'm calling it Fort Pelosi at this point because I think it's the worst <laughs> of politics uh, at, at play. And remind you, these aren't regular soldiers. The National Guards, men and women, are, were pulled out of their businesses, out of their civilian jobs, out of their families with no notice. Fine, we got through you know, a safe uh, uh, inauguration, but what is the plan going forward and what is the threat that that demands them there away from their families in perpetuity. And I have yet for anybody to give me a straight answer. There's some talk of some online chatter. Okay, fine. But again, what's so dire that it requires more in both more soldiers in our capital than both, both war zones combined. And there isn't one. 
and not to mention the border keeping our American citizens safe. Congressman, before you go, I want to give you a chance to comment on the resolution that you introduced to boycott the 2022 Olympic Games taking place in China. Yep. And Congressman, uh, this isn't about a boycott of the Chinese people. This is about no. the Chinese Communist Party and their human right. rights abuses, not the least of which is uh, what they've done to our country in terms of the China virus. Go ahead. Well, Senator Rick Scott, uh, uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich and others have been asking the International Olympic Committee to move the games out of China and rebid them. That's the answer so that our athletes can all compete. But, you know, they've been met with deafening silence just 11 months away from the 22 Winter uh, Olympic Games. We have no choice but to demand a boycott. I cannot imagine rewarding the Chinese Communist Party with the Olympics after they unleashed the coronavirus on the world. They covered it up. And now you have an absolute genocide going on in Western China with forced in, uh, forced internment, with concentration camps, forced labor, uh, forced uh, mass rapes. Uh, and um, and a sterilization campaign. It's awful and disgusting and not in line with our values. And we all need to call out corporate America and others, NBC, Nike, Adidas, that think, I guess, social justice also only applies in the United States, but doesn't apply abroad. And they stand to make billions off of these games. Uh, we need to take a stand and uh, we need to get the games moved or not send our athletes. The only counter-argument I've heard, it honestly, was, so. well, let's just go there and win. And I'm thinking, but we are still spending millions and millions of dollars there in their country, yeah. enriching our and it gives greatest them, enemy. Yeah. And it gives the Communist Party a global platform, a global spotlight yeah. to spread their propaganda and to whitewash all of their abuses that are going on as we speak. And remember... Putin invaded Crimea and Ukraine just months after the Sochi games. We all know what happened in Germany after the 1936 games. We can't give the Communist Party our greatest adversary, I would argue, the legitimacy that comes with that and the global platform uh, to continue their propaganda that their system, the China dream, should replace the American dream around the world. And that's what they're saying speech after speech. And that's what they would say in the middle of the Olympics declare biological warfare on our country and we'll reward you with an Olympic uh, game. It just makes yeah. no sense to me either. Congressman Mike Waltz, thank you so much for all you're doing and thank you for being with us this evening. All right. Thanks, Gina. <laughs> Coming up, we know someone who knew Rush Limbaugh very early in his career. You won't want to miss what he has to say. Come, Coming right up after this, stay tuned for more Dr. Gina Primetime. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Prime Time. Happy Friday to you. The conservative world, though this week not so happy, still mourning after the passing of one of their favorites of all time, the greatest of all time, many say, Rush Limbaugh. Don't be surprised if you turn on the radio and hear Rush's voice. Just the News reports this. Limbaugh's radio show will stay on air until the audience is prepared to say goodbye. Clips of Rush from years past will be played, and guest hosts will fill in just like they have filled in during the days that Rush wasn't able to be on air over the past year. Adam Weiss joins me now to talk about Rush Limbaugh and his life and his career. Adam, 
Great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Gina, thanks for having me. Adam, so many of us owe a great debt of gratitude um, in our careers to Rush. I started in radio, and I've told my story on this show and other places that uh, it was in debates with my father over listening to Rush Limbaugh in my father's office growing up that uh, I came to know that what I wanted to do was speak in mass media, that I wanted to be part of it in some way, and that I knew that I would depart from my family's tradition of all of us going into medicine and I would go into media because of Rush. You knew and had interaction with him early in your life as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, I always enjoyed politics. Even when I was about 16, I started really watching debates and I, you know, at that uh, such a young age, I didn't know which, you know, started learning about different philosophies and ideology and I became conservative right away at 18. And somewhere along the line, I decided to start a group called the Young Conservatives of Long Island, and I would fight against higher taxes and, you know, basically conservative values locally on Long Island, because that's where all politics is, our growth begins locally, right? Out of nowhere, one day, it's around 1993, Dave Zier, one of your hosts, and I came on board. We started the Young Conservatives of Long Island, Suffolk, and at a, in an appeal box I had back then, I got a letter from Rush Limbaugh. To this day, I don't know how, to, how he got my PO box. I don't know where it came from. But it's this beautiful letter I got from Rush saying, I heard about your group. I want to wish you the best of success in all your endeavors. And, and I wish you the greatest, uh, you know, uplifting experiences moving forward. And I'm like, th at this point, he probably had a couple of hundred affiliates throughout the country. I was always fascinated listening to him. And it was, I thought the other day, I, could, I just remembered the pen pals we had back and forth. It was amazing that he found me out of the clear blue and just wished a local group on Long Island the best of success. It shows what a you know a decent, humble, you know wonderful man he was. And I I I was dr an ambulatory driver for the county of Suffolk, and I used to drive people to the doctors' to the job when I was 23 years old, and to the uh, grocery store was the service we provided. And I used to listen to Rush every day, and it was like I got a great education. It was almost it was way better than when I was going to university because you they try to indoctrinate you. Rush speaks from the heart, and you know, and he speaks to the people. And one of the other amazing thing we know about Rush, and you know as well as anybody, how hard it is not to have guests. Can you imagine every day he spoke for three hours, and he paid a call his call in, but he never really had guests. Once in a while, the vice president, a U.S. senator, who was special occasion, but Rush, through 30 years of career, never had guests. Imagine that speaking for three hours, off the cuff, witty, humorous, you know you know, ideologically on point. So it was a, he's an amazing, uh, you know, man that we lost, an amazing uh, icon. He's like the Babe Ruth, the Tiger Woods, the Michael yeah. Jordan, all in one of conservative media we lost. And it's a, I don't know if anybody will ever be able to fill his shoes. And, you know, I think we, Trump wouldn't, we wouldn't have Trump, if we, I don't think, if it wasn't for Rush Limbaugh. Adam leftist celebrities who have really zero class have been celebrating the death of Rush. But folks on the right really don't seem to do that when a leftist icon dies, do they? Not at all. And, uh, you know, one of the examples we use, maybe, uh, President Trump was on the tarmac. He was, I don't know exactly where he was heading to or where uh, from. And they surprised him that Ruth Bader Ginsburg just, you know, passed. And he said the most elegant words. And she was an icon and she was you know, a woman of many uh, amazing uh, deeds in her life. And it was just pleasant words that he said right on the tarmac. And 
we and and it was you know glowing tributes from the right to the left when an icon even though we don't agree with her uh, ideologically we respect the work they did in our country and it seems like they can't do that on the left the viciousness that comes out of it i had a colleague of mine friend and he's a friend and he's a decent guy and he shoots me a message this morning after we spoke you really liked rush limbaugh sent me a message on facebook i said yeah and he says He's a racist, misogynist, uh, puts down this and that. I'm like, have you seen the clips on YouTube? I'm like, well, they're probably spliced, edited. Because I've listened to Rush thousands of times. I never heard him say one racist, misogynist, bad things, kindest, nicest, humorous things. And if they can't take a joke, which we know he was funny, and that's what made him so great, what he is, he threw a lot of comedy in with his, you know, which a lot of conservatives sometimes don't do, and we got to give Rush credit that he was so amazing at it. And that's what made him so lovable. He was able to bring humor to the experience of talk radio, conservatism, and a lot of people can't do that, which that was such a gift that Rush had, right? It's pretty hard to prove that he's a racist when the guy that he had as his really right-hand man his entire life is, of course, known as Bo Snurdly, our good friend James Golden, uh, one of my close friends here in Palm Beach. Uh, many don't even realize it is a black man and Rush never made a deal out of it. He could have used that every single time he was accused of racism. He never did. And uh, so these, these, you know, these accusations fall on dry ground and uh, as so many accusations from the left do. But, you know, it's so nice of you. Uh, you reached out to me and said that you wanted a chance to come on and talk about him. And I just appreciate you doing that. And I know that, that Rush would too. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. Absolutely. Coming up, Daryl Scott and Bruce Lavelle putting the smackdown on Governor Andrew Cuomo. You're not going to want to miss this. Stay right where you are. More Dr. Gina Primetime right after this. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Governor Cuomo came to the podium today to give another Emmy Award winning press conference. But he was busted for covering up those COVID death numbers among nursing home residents in his state. And you know what? I don't think people are gonna let this go. We thought maybe he might apologize and do the right thing, but no, he said he was sorry that he didn't fight harder against those attacking him. Crazy. The only problem is uh, the fake news wasn't actually fake as he said it was. So watch this ridic ridiculous, really ridiculous attempt to spin his own mismanagement of the COVID crisis in his state. I wonder if my father died because somebody made a mistake. I wonder if my father had to die. Those false statements must be countered. They must be, or else people get confused. We didn't fight back against the lies and the politics and the, the distortions aggressively enough. In retrospect, yeah. all right. I can't listen true. to more of this because this is ridiculous. You you can't say not. someone is lying about their loved one dying, Cuomo. I'm just not going to have that. Those are not lies. And and here's another thing that I that I want to figure into this whole conversation that I've not heard any other media point to. Nursing home money is big money, and a big old battleship sat there vacant. And hospital tents that Donald Trump set up sat there vacant while he took big, big campaign donations from the nursing homes who took those patients. Here with me now to discuss is 
the SmackDown governor himself, the host of SmackDown, Daryl Scott. <laughs> and we can't have fun on a Freedom Friday without one of our very favorites. That is Bruce Lavelle. I would submit these are two of the finest gentlemen in television. It's good to have you both with me this Friday. Daryl, to you first. You gotta hand it to this fine Emmy Award winning actor, Cuomo. I think that's the only title he's going to be left with when this is all said and done. But, you know, he is, uh, he is, he is quite, quite proud of himself. He's not backing down. Even AOC came out after him. His own Democrats are folding one after another, which you don't see. You know, my famous, uh, you know, in my own world, my own famous statement is that uh, the Democrats are really good at circling wagons, wagons while Republicans tend to circle fire. But in this case, his own Democrats are coming after him. Well, you know, the Democrats are trained never to admit they're wrong. So right. uh, he just, you know, this is just learned behavior for him. You know, there was a legendary uh, Italian-American uh, named Vito Corleone that had two sons, one named Sonny Santino, another named Fredo. Well, Fredo is now on CNN. Sonny right here is running New York. And one thing that, one thing that Vito said about Sonny, he said he was a bad Don. And you know what he would say today? Cuomo is a bad governor. He's the worst governor, the dumbest governor, the lionest governor in the United States of America. And they need to get this crook, get this clown out of office ASAP to restore some semblance of normalcy to that once great city because he's basically destroyed the city of New York. But Bruce, he's a good actor. And he got a lot of campaign donations because those nursing homes, they donate yeah. big and they made a lot of money by the actions he took. Did they not? Yeah, follow the money. No, I told you not to do this. I told you. You know, thanks, Dr. G, for having <laughs> me. But, you know, listen, you know, I heard you say battleship. But, heck, that that boat was bigger than the love boat, you know, respectfully. Right. And just, you know, on a serious note, condolences to all the families who lost the loved ones with this, you know. It's sad, That's but they, right. they prop this man up to make him out to be the next coming of, oh, he could be presidential. I mean, they ran that tape seven days a week, 24 hours, yep. and just let him talk and talk. But now watch this, Dr. G. If he doesn't lie about this, let's, I bet you there's some more stuff going to come out. Stay tuned. Yeah, watch it. Follow the money, like out. you said. Yeah. You're right. You're right. All right, only about a minute left in the show, but I want to get to our meme of the day because this one is so funny. We see Ted Cruz. Oh, we're going to go to meme of the day. Sorry, I got to do my stinger. Here we go. Here we go. As I said, we see Ted Cruz with some very nice no. looking island grades. <laughs> He's denying he was in Cancun. Daryl, Ted Cruz taking a lot of heat for going to Cancun. But uh, you know, what is he supposed to do? <laughs> Fix the power grid by, by himself? I don't know. Hey, look, look, big T out here. You know the one thing about it? I saw uh, on television, I saw Ted Cruz at the airport. And the thing I noticed, I said, I said to my wife, I said, Ted Cruz's stomach looks like mine. <laughs> Hanging over his belt. But listen, what did they yeah. expect him to do? He did what a lot of people did. He heard the coldest comment. He said, I'm getting out of Dodge real quick because I don't want to be up here freezing to death. And they're taking him to task for it. But while that was going on, Joe Biden was playing video games with his grandson. And they gave him a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. right. All right, Bruce, you know I love having you guys. Daryl Scott, don't miss the show. Smackdown, 7 p.m. Saturdays. <laughs> Bruce Lavelle, Daryl Scott, two of the best in the business here every Friday. And thanks to you for joining me tonight. And everyone here 
at your new home for real news, RAV TV, Real America's Voice, live from Studio 60 up next with Damon and the gang. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody.